You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on July 9, 2023, presented by Mr. Daniel Sung. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Before we continue on, though, let us again bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that as we come before the preaching of your word, that you may humble our hearts, that you may give us a heart of obedience and humility to be able to hear your voice, to obey, to keep it in our hearts and to live out your word. We ask, Lord, that you may empower us to stand firm in this faith that you have, this precious faith that you have given to us. Help us to believe what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the, the laughter of, a, of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defence as money is a defence. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should grasp this, and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. 
For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All this I, I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find out? I applied my heart to know, to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. He is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The message of Ecclesiastes is not only a timeless one, but it is a message that is especially significant for this current generation. The book explores life's biggest question, challenging its readers to think about whether there truly is any meaning to this life. With so much suffering and injustice all around the world and the grave being the ultimate destination for all people, is there a sure way for you to be living meaningful Christian lives. In this seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon describes three ways by which you can live a meaningful life. These are three absolutely vital things that you must be doing in order to find true contentment, satisfaction and joy in life. God certainly has a purpose for everything that occurs, even though you may not always understand them. What you are called to do, therefore, is to submit to his rule and trust that everything that he has ordained will ultimately work out for your good. That no matter what you are confronted with, there is always a way for you to revere him and to honour him. First, of all, living a meaningful Christian life means to discover true wisdom in suffering. Second of all, it means to rely not on your own righteousness or good deeds, but only in, in Christ. And last of all, it means not to be fooled by the enticement or the attractiveness of sin. There is much value in suffering, and for Christians, it is never pointless. Solomon is here trying to encourage suffering people to show their trust in a sovereign God, one who alone knows what the future holds. The letter to the Hebrews tells you to endure hardship as discipline because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves 
and punishes everyone he considers and accepts as his sons and daughters. Solomon says that death is better, the day of death is better than the day of birth because it forces you to think about the fate of all those who are living. Going to a funeral will teach you to be wise in the way that you should be living and preparing to one day die. You may not like to think about the reality of death. It can be quite a painful experience thinking about its harshness, the harshness of life, its fragile and temporary nature, especially when you can't seem to figure it all out. It's a scary thing confronting death when you haven't yet discovered the meaning or the purpose of your existence. And when someone close to you passes away, you're then certainly unable to laugh off the seriousness of the matter. All you have to do is take a walk down the local cemetery. There are numerous graves there for babies and children who have passed away much too early. There are tombstones there for members of the same family who have passed away on the very same day. Many of you have yourselves experienced much heartache in the past. Such times of sorrow and grief serve as a reminder of the vain and futile nature of life. It is better to be forced to think about and be serious about the problems of death rather than laughing them off. Because at the end of the day, such laughter is futile, says Solomon. Your encounters with death will teach you much about the pain of loss. They create opportunities for others to extend the love of Christ, helping you to rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. In verses 5 and 6, Solomon says that living meaningful lives means learning to heed the rebuke and the criticism of the wise. The preacher is not impressed with the Song of Fools, nor does he think that their laughter is helpful. The image that he uses is that of a man setting a pot on fire by gathering thorns for fuel. These thorns burn rapidly with a fine display of sparks and plenty of noise. But it is soon spent and quickly dies out. It doesn't give much heat. See, the fool's laughter is like that. Jesus said, Woe to those who laugh now, for they shall mourn and weep. Evil schemes and foolish living are great temptations, and easy money may be sought after by all. But those who are patient will persevere in their temptations and suffering till the very end. They will avoid making knee-jerk reactions and endure adversity until they come out the other end. Fools are impatient, especially when confronted with suffering. They just fly off the handle easily. Isn't one of the best ways to know whether you are really trusting in God is to see if you get angry when suffering strikes. When you complain to God that you don't deserve to be treated in this manner, 
The second half of verse 9 says, For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Foolish people nurture their anger, letting them grow until it one day explodes. And then in verse 10 it says, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Here is another example of foolish impatient. Impatience, those who express their dissatisfaction with the present situation. The temptation here is to reminisce about the good old days. Being men often decide to go back to see the way things were before their present condition, rather than looking forward with hope. The Jewish exiles who returned to Jerusalem during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah were like that. They were rebuilding a temple that was a mere shadow of its former glory days. Similarly, many congregations today say that they wish to go back to their former glory days when the church was vibrant and filled with people from many generations. But they must never allow their current circumstances, no matter how bad they seem, to force them to want the things of the past. It is simply not wise. Wisdom, Solomon says in verse 11, is good with an inheritance. When you think inheritance, you should think of land, which is able to produce food and stability. It means that one could then survive times of adversity. Wisdom just like money, can protect you from the harsh realities of life. Solomon is not about to deny that money has its advantages, but that the advantages of wisdom, that wisdom has over money is that it preserves one's life. This is perhaps not referring to eternal life, but rather to be able to live a more vigorous, more abundant kind of life, a spirit-filled and meaningful life in Jesus. In verses 13 and 14, it says, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Here Solomon sums it all up. To consider the work of God and what he has done means for you to accept and surrender. It would be utter arrogance to think that you can change God's work. You must come to accept even suffering as coming from the hand of God. Through all your trials and your testing, consider and know that God is in control, that he always has a plan and a purpose. Man does not know what the future holds. All he can do is to believe that there is a certain train or course of events that are determined by the providence of God. You can never make straight what God has made crooked. All of your days are lived under the sovereignty of God, whether they bring you prosperity or adversity. And only God knows why he has put the crook in your paths. People are often too quick to tell God to straighten out their crook. 
Even Jesus asked the Father if there was any way to make Calvary straight instead of crooked. But in his submission and his obedience, he asked instead for God's will to be done. If God gives you a crook in this life, and let's just say that you had the ability to change it, would you do it? Would you straighten out what God has made crooked? Do you wish for a different life to the one you have now? Or would you see your suffering as an opportunity to trust and rely on God, to testify to his goodness and his sovereign will? Thomas Boston was a 17th century Scottish Presbyterian minister and theologian. His writings were highly regarded and well known all around the world, even today. But he was a man who was lowly in spirit because he underwent much suffering. One of his works was titled, The Crook in the Lot. Boston was greatly admired for his faithfulness as he spent over 25 years in the same rural parish. But he was perhaps admired most for his perseverance through suffering. Boston was often in poor health and his wife also suffered from debilitating chronic illnesses of both the body and also the mind. Their greatest trial, however, was the death of their children. They lost six of ten of their babies. One loss was especially tragic. They had already lost a son named Ebenezer, which in 1 Samuel means, thus far the Lord has helped us. When his wife gave birth to another, to another son, they considered naming him Ebenezer as well. Yet, there was some hesitation. Naming the boy Ebenezer would be a testimony of hope to God's faithfulness. But what if this child died too, meaning that they would have to bury another Ebenezer? That would be a loss too bitter to bear. But by faith, Boston still decided to name his son Ebenezer. Yet the child was weak and sickly. And in spite of much prayer, this child also died. Many would be tempted to blame God or to at least drop out of ministry for a while, but not Boston. Rather than turning away from God during his time of trial, Boston turned toward the Lord for help and comfort. Jesus called those who suffer blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted, are poor and are hungry. Blessed are those who weep, who are hated and reviled. Are you prepared to live this way in order to be blessed? Next of all, in verses 15 to 22, Solomon says that you will live a meaningful Christian life if you trust in the righteousness of Christ rather than your own. All of your good deeds cannot protect you against suffering or an early death, says Solomon. You cannot 
It, they cannot give you the most important thing in this entire world, which is new life in Christ. See, there are no guarantees in this life. This is why Solomon says that everything is vapour, everything is vanity and empty. Life has the sense of being unpredictable, uncontrollable and unmanageable. You can plan for many things, but these things can be taken away from you in the blink of an eye. A farmer may invest a lot of money into a crop and suddenly lose all of it overnight. There might be floods, bushfires or pests that come through and clean everything out. You may work so hard on establishing a career path, spending endless days and nights building up your reputation, only to be diagnosed with an incurable disease. Teenagers have their entire lives ahead of them, but their lives can be suddenly taken away in a tragic car accident. Your children may head off to school one day to never return home again. You just don't know. Such things are simply beyond your power and your control. Verses 16 to 18, it says, Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. As humans, you have a tendency to rely on your own righteousness and wisdom. But even worse than that is to pretend to be or consider yourself to be overly wise or righteous. Such attitudes are destined for certain failure and they will not produce the benefits in life that they promise. Thinking that you are too righteous for bad things to happen to you or that you do not deserve to suffer any ill is to directly question God's rule and his sovereignty. Solomon is not saying that a, a little wickedness can be tolerated, but that your security is found in nothing else apart from the fear of the Lord. To trust in God and to truly believe in the righteousness that is provided by his son Jesus Christ, that is your only sure guarantee that you have in this life. That on the cross, Jesus has once for all fully paid for all your sins and now you have a newfound freedom and condemn from any condemnation or guilt. So the question becomes, do you have the righteousness of Christ yet? And if not, do you know how to go about receiving it? God is not concerned about outer appearances, all the religious things that, and good works that you do week in and week out. What he wants is your heart. He wants a contrite heart that is truly sorrowful for all your sins. He wants you to come before him in total submission and repentance, trusting only in him for your salvation. Only in this way, 
can his righteousness be credited or imputed to you? Only in this way are you able to live a life full of meaning and always for the glory of God. Although neither righteousness nor wisdom are able to guarantee prosperity or blessing, they are nevertheless good and necessary. The right path in life is to fear God regardless of your situation. To live a meaningful Christian life means to rely on God's righteousness and providence instead of your own achievements and claims. One who fears God will not try to be overly righteous or too wise. Perfect goodness is beyond you because humans are all sinners. Even your very best efforts in life are tainted with sin. Your fallen natures undo all your efforts to attain perfect righteousness in life. Your only safety is in the righteousness of Christ and in the fear of God. Finally, in verses 23 to 29, we're told that the way to live meaningful Christians' lives is not to be fooled by the enticement and attractiveness of sin. He was a king who tried everything to learn the secrets of wisdom. Yet he admits grudgingly that he comes up short. All human wisdom is limited. And the very best that he can come up with is to say that he doesn't have all the answers. Knowing the limits of wisdom is a big part of true wisdom, isn't it? The more that you know, the more you realise that there is much that you do not know. What Solomon can tell you is that everyone has a, has a tendency to sin, natural tendency to sin, especially because such a life is so seductive. Foolish living is pictured as a woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He's not saying that all women are like this. Rather, he's using her as a metaphor for foolish living and wickedness. Living foolishly is extremely tempting. It's almost irresistible. It's a fatal attraction. But in verse 26, it says that with God's help, one can escape her. Those who sincerely decide to please God can escape the temptations of sin and folly. They can escape the pool of evil and its disastrous consequences. God's promise is that there is always a way by the power of the Holy Spirit to escape temptation. Our final verses, verses 27 to 29, says, Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Solomon is certainly not saying that men are somehow more righteous than women. Rather than that even the one good man that he's found amongst a thousand was also sadly a sinner. Remember now that Solomon is 
testifying to his own personal experience. The Bible records that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. They all worshipped false gods and turned him away from the true living God. Their hearts were a bitter trap that led to his downfall and idolatry. Does it then surprise you that Solomon would say that none of these women were known for their godliness? What is being emphasised here is the seriousness of the problem and the attractiveness of evil. Human depravity and foolish living are universal. You see it everywhere. Solomon has found virtually no upright person. You see such much evil and injustice every day in the news, don't you? Lately, there have been numerous home invasions. People are not safe even in their own homes anymore. And who knows what could happen during one of these episodes. Lives could be just turned upside down unexpectedly. And I'm sure many of you have been following the great injustice carried out against Moira Deeming. Not only has such gross injustice been done towards a woman, but one who is deeply committed to Christ and the church. You yourselves have experienced much injustice in your lives, haven't you? Many of you have been hard done by in one way or another, sometimes by those who are meant to love you the most. These experiences all tell you that there is nothing in this world that you can rely on. Everything can change and will let you down because wickedness and corruption are rife. They exist at every level because of the fallen nature of this world. Many people will try to blame God for all that is wrong in this world. Many will accuse him of allowing sin to enter into the Garden of Eden. But Solomon says here that God is not at fault. The one thing he found, the single most important point in all his searching for the meaning of life, is that you cannot blame God for all the evil that exists. God is the only constant, the one who never ever changes. He's the only one worthy of all your trust and his word will never, ever let you down. All humans are poor, corrupt and depraved. They often trust in their own wisdom, thinking that their righteousness will save them. They think that God is unfair when he makes their paths crooked. And they certainly do not understand that the only meaningful and worthwhile pursuit in this life is the fear of God. Living a meaningful Christian life means to trust in God and his sovereignty. It means to learn from all the suffering that you undergo in life. It means to believe that prosperity and blessing are not brought about by legal observances or pious practices. Thinking that you are overly wise or righteous also means that you have failed to appreciate God's providence 
and his ordering of things. Living in the fear of God means not to be fooled by the enticement of sin. Regardless of what you may think about how wise this present generation is, it will soon be proven that in the end, the wisdom of this world is utter folly. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you praise for you are the all-wise God. Your wisdom is so far above ours, Lord, that all we ought to do is to submit before you, bow down, prostrate before you. Lord, for you are the giver of life and you, life, you take away. And who are we, Lord, that you should look upon us? For we are mere dust and one day to dust we shall return. But Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you have given us Jesus Christ to die for all our sins. We thank you for the righteousness that we have because of who he is and what he has done. We give you praise for your ways are beautiful, for you have made everything beautiful in its time. We pray, Lord, that you strengthen us in our walk with you. Help us in this race, in this walk, of, in this narrow path, Lord, of life. We ask not that you take away our suffering, but that you strengthen and embolden us to be able to endure our suffering for the glory of your name. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.